This show is a part of the FM Podcast Network. Visit us at fmpods.com. When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call them a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. Beyond the horizon, behind the sun, at the end of the rainbow, life has only begun. In the long hours of twilight, neath the stardust above, beyond the horizon, it is easy to love. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time, part of the FM Podcast Network. I'm your host of Freewheeling, Rob Kelly, and joining us this week to talk about Beyond the Horizon from 2006's Modern Times is fellow Bobcat, Nick Judd. Hi, Nick. Hey, Rob. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. I very much appreciate it. Like uh, Much like with Street Legal, uh, anyone who is pitching themselves to me to come on the show, just say, I'm going to do something from modern times. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, just, I actually have, I love this record so much. I feel like, I don't know, it's maybe a little underappreciated of of his 21st century record. That's probably just me being crazy because is anything about Bob Don't unappreciated yeah. at this point? But but nevertheless, it's it's a, it's a, it's a cheat code. To getting on the show is saying i want to do something for modern times so we're going to get into all that and there's there's like kind of way more to this than i expected when you first pitched the song to me but of sure. course we got to start at the beginning which is how did you become a fan of bob in the first place uh my dad is probably the biggest willie nelson fan out there i asked him oh a month or so ago like dad like how many concerts have you been to of his and he's like nick i sat down i tried to figure this out once and you know it's it's I think it's over a hundred. Holy. So like, oh, wow. And so anyways, I grew up listening a lot of times begrudgingly to uh, Willie Nelson, but you know, it's a seven or eight year old. You just want to listen to whatever's you know, popular at the time. But as my music tastes matured, I, uh, you know, I appreciated that, um, that he instilled that older type of music to me. And um, so I guess I always had an ear for older music and I like, I'm kind of an old soul. I like older movies and that type of stuff. So uh, one time, I think I was either a senior in high school or a, a freshman in college. A buddy of mine played some stuff from Blood on the Tracks. And this was the first time I had heard Bob, and like it really stuck with me. And uh, I was able to download a bunch of songs from this buddy of mine's uh, computer from uh, from his iTunes. And I was commuting. I was do it when I was doing my undergraduate. I was um, driving about an hour to and fro each uh, every day, so I had a lot of time to listen to some music, and so I really got familiar with all of Bob's canon, and um, so yeah, it kind of went from there. Uh, from a young age, I always enjoyed older music, and I guess it just first time I heard Bob, it it clicked. Did when you were li- hearing all the Willie Nelson? I guess there's really there's really just the one collaboration between the yeah. two of them, right? So yeah. they probably you probably never heard that one. I no, mean, that I would don't have think been I ever heard Poncho and Lefty. No, not until later on. But oh, actually, no. Now that you say, it, there's two because there's Heartland because they did Heartland okay. as well. Yep. But that's that's it. I mean, yeah, for, for how long they've been friends? Yeah, uh, they haven't collaborated a whole lot. Yeah, that is surprising. I mean, that Willie tends to collaborate with everybody. You know, he has duets with Nor Jones and jazz musicians and all types of people so it is surprising that as long as they've known each other that they've never really done an album or anything like that who did he do what was in the 80s was it julio iglesias was mm-hmm. that the guy that all the girls i love 
Yes, yes, it's really <laughs> random people that he he works with. It's I just fly back to watching that on on the Tonight Show, <laughs> seeing those two together. Oh, okay, interesting. So, well, that's now. Is your dad a fan of Bob at all? Um, he is not nearly as big as I am, but um, he he. So he always argues that like, oh, Willie's the best singer songwriter of all time. I'm like, Dad. <laughs> don't think Willie ever won a Nobel Prize, but (laughs) (laughs) that's kind of the hammer. I mean, like, that's tough to recover from, so. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, there's no retort. Not not a lot of retort to that, I can imagine. (laughs) So so what was the first, if you can remember, what was the first new Dylan album? I'm now asking everybody who's come on the show for the first time, what was their first new Dylan album? Because I I always feel that's very instructive as to Uh, the formation of their fandom. Modern Times. Um, mm. I, I was actually going to say Modern Times has always been one of my favorite of his works, I, and I I do feel like it is definitely undervalued. And I, I think it has to do with you know if we view it as a trilogy, I, I don't know how Bob would feel about that, but <laughs> a lot of times it's grouped you know with Time Out of Mind and Love and Theft, and then Modern Times. I think if you switch around, like if Modern Times comes out first or maybe second. I think it's viewed a little differently today and it has kind of grown like it, there's it's becoming more like if you look on Reddit, it, more people are coming to appreciate it. But, you know, at the time it was, I think the expectations were so high that, yeah, it was well received and whatnot. But, you know, t- at, when time out of mind came out, you know, coming from the eighties, early nineties, wasn't really the best era for Bob. And so, I don't that that's always been my feeling. I don't know if there's anything to that, but that's kind of how I feel about it. I mean, time in mind was def- definitely the expectations shatterer because as you said, sure. he had kind of a rough you know, mid 80s and then Oh Mercy was very strong. And then, you know, depending on your point of view, a a, a just a lower ebb 90s. Now, again, we've talked about sure. it. I love those those covers records, but to to the non diehard fan, he was kind of out in the wilderness, and then all of a sudden, bang, he comes back with this thing. I, I remember hearing that about Modern Times completes the trilogy. I'm like, this is not a trilogy. Stop it, Columbia <laughs> Records. Come on, this one record is completely record, you know, produced by somebody else. Like, nope. <laughs> no, that's right. Not a trilogy here. Bob is not doing yes. He's not. Con- he's not doing concept albums. I mean, come right. on. Um, I always feel like Modern Times. Is just yeah. I just really feel like it's a very strong record. I, when I think of it, I hear to me. I feel like there's a lot more like bass on it. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more Tony Gardier bass, and so to me, it has yep. a just a a darker, heavier sound, which I kind of like. And then yep. I also just feel like the record has everything that you could want out of a Bob Dylan record. It's got up tempo, fast yep. rock songs. It's yep. got a state of the world song you know everyone yep. oh he doesn't talk about modern stuff anymore well he's talking at work man's blues number two. Man's got, blues is not as modern it's, as yeah it's got blues in it it's like it's almost like what it's a one-stop shop what else do you yep. want out of a Bob Dylan record? I don't understand. so that's a great way to start though if that's your first one like that's yep. to me that is terrific absolutely yeah team bob live well yeah i've um actually seen him Three times, once in 2018, and then two times recently, both times he came to Chicago on the Rough and Rowdy Ways tour. So, yep. What, uh, what about you, Rob? How many times? I, I don't think I've ever heard you talk about how many times. I've heard this I, a lot, but I don't know. Yeah, I, I think I'm up to, I think the last one I just did was 26, I think. Okay. I mean, I'm pretty low. As, as diehard Dylan fans go, uh, right. I, I'm on the lower end. I just, 
I find I find we talked about this on another episode. Like I find going to concerts sort of stressful. Like I'm just built that way. I just find them so to me, Bob is the only thing that gets me out. Is like yeah. that. and even then when he's in town and he does four nights, I don't I just don't have the impetus to go four nights. You yeah. know, I'm like, I'll go one night and I'm good. Other people can see him you know, six, seven times in, in the space of like a week and a half. And I just, I'm just not built that way, even yeah. though I want to be there with him. And what did you think of the, the shows? I mean, you obviously, by the time you're, if you're buying modern times, when it comes out, it's 2006 and you're seeing Bob in 2018, you've had a long time to know what you're getting by the time you see him live. Oh, for sure. I, I was blown away by 2018. I, I he was, he sounded great and he played a wide variety of songs. I mean, I think he, he did some stuff from, I think he did simple twist of fate did a bunch of Tempest songs, a bunch of Highway 61 songs. So it was really varied. The last two concerts, the, the I think it was 21, 2021 and 2023, they were heavily focused on Rough and Rowdy Ways, which yep. I think is a great album. And I, yep. I don't have any complaints. But yeah, I was I was blown away for sure. That's good. That's always good when you you know you see him for the first time and then you're like, oh, wow. Yeah, this is... This I, is I had listened to him live and so i kind of knew what i was getting into but you know I, honestly I, I thought he sounded pretty good let's talk about beyond the horizon from again from modern times of course uh the uh, why this one you know let me just jump right to it why why this okay so in a past life i was a historical linguist i which is basically you know, it could be a little esoteric if you really get into the weeds but it's basically asking why and how languages change over time and so I was studying this in my uh, day-to-day life. And then, you know, I, I would listen to a lot of Dylan live. And I think one of the first songs I listened to live was Simple Twist of Fate, which any diehard Dylan fan knows that the more recent Simple Twist of Fate versions are basically night and day different, lyrically speaking. Yeah. Um, the studio version. And it was just kind of a, a serendipitous type of thing where I like, you know, I can look at this. I can look at, I don't think there's anyone nerdy enough like me who loves Bob enough, who likes historical linguistics can kind of look at this and see if there's anything there. Like, see if there's, we can compare, like, you know, it's obviously not a language, but it's still, it's just one guy doing it. But is there any similarities, any overlap between how languages change? And so with Beyond the Horizon, I think it's a misconception with Dylan that he only changes the the songs that are really near and dear to him, the really personal songs, which, I mean, Simple Twist of Fate is a prime example of that. I would also throw in Tangled Up in Blue, uh, Long and Wasted Years is heavily uh, adapted in, in, in concert. Um, but with Beyond the Horizon, I don't really view that as a personal song, really. I mean, it's not, it's more general and it's heavily adapted. So I thought, you know, let's, let's dive into this because I think there's a lot we can get to. I, I think it kind of, it can shed some light and uh, a lot to unpack there, but that's in a nutshell why I wanted to listen to Beyond the Horizon. How does one, before before we, I, just to step back a little, how does one decide to get into historical linguistics? That is not a career path that most people no. even know exists. No, 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 no. Um, well, I, I lived abroad. I lived in Spain and I obviously learned how to speak Spanish and something I really enjoyed. And I thought, you know, I really like teaching. I was teaching English to, to get by at the time. I'm like, why don't I try to be a Spanish professor? And so when you do a advanced degree in language, you either study literature or linguistics. 
And I chose linguistics, and there's a lot of different branches you can look at, uh, like meaning, like semantics, and sound, phonology, and a bunch of other stuff. And I just found myself really gravitating towards language change and how political systems and historical events can shape a language uh, moving mm. forward. And yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> That's really, really amazing. Uh, one of the, the – well, you talk about um, – Bob's songs, the personal ones versus the maybe the non-personal ones. Obviously, none of us can ever know that. And he, 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 he probably purposely does misdirects. So he oh, thinks, yeah. oh, this song seems very personal and it may not be. That said, yeah. just as a listener, you can get some sort of vibe of like, oh, this one feels like maybe something that, that, that was sparked from a personal event. It just feels like that. And then there's others, uh, which I think Beyond the Horizon is one, that feel to me that it's he's wanting to play with song forms yep. and it's an experiment. Uh, you know, it's just kind of like, and so, you know, like this song, the tune, when I first heard it, right, Bob, at that point I had, I had had love and theft for many years and I realized, Oh, he's kind of doing this now where he is dropping a sprinkle of uh, these old timey, for lack of a better term, songs yeah. Yeah. in these records. And it's actually just a couple of weeks ago on the, the, the Beatles cover episode we talked about. I feel like that's a kind of McCartney thing because it was like, remember the Beatles, the, the other three Beatles wanted to have everything sound modern. And then Paul was like, do, 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 do. Like he wanted to do things that sounded like they were from a 1920 circus. Yeah. And yeah. the other three were like, okay, Paul, our old blood, that's fine. And, I don't think the band has that reaction to Bob. I think they're just like, no. all right, whatever. But Bob <laughs> definitely likes dropping these in. And so the first time I heard it, I was like, okay, this is just a nice little, you know, lilting love song that sounds like something that would have been uh, recorded by Rudy Valley right. in the 1920s. And Bob's into that. And that's, and that's fine. And in fact, this, the tune is borrowed from a Bing Crosby song called red sails in the sunset and if you go to youtube and you listen to it and you get to the refrain you hear it right there you hear that dun, 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 dun. you immediately pick up on it and i'm like well that's what bob is doing here he's he's he he loves bing crosby he's talked about that in interviews and this is just an old song that he wants to repurpose you know for for his own for his own purposes to use that word again and so that so that to me suggests it's not one totally ripped from his soul it is more right. of this is the professional musician side of him but i mean there's still a lot going on here but yeah that was kind of the vibe too like i was like okay this is more bob as the music professor less the you know guy bearing his soul and via yeah. song totally and it's funny another song from the album is borrow borrows another uh bing crosby song the when the deal goes down comes from where the blue of the night meets the gold of the day which is a wow which is a bing crosby song if you play that on youtube the first two notes you can hear it <laughs> i was listening to a lot of bing crosby you know yeah. in the early 2000s he was, he was pulling out a lot and of course in the song he mentions the bells of saint mary's yes, which is a bing was, crosby movie yeah. so he's, he's tipping yep. his hat right then i was <laughs> hoping we'd get to talk about that yep yeah yeah i was like okay there he is and so one of the other things I uh well okay when I first heard this song I took it as it was just a gentle little love song and and kind of the bridge between the other songs I liked a little more to be honest yeah, it was like okay it, this is you know, it's yep yeah. and it really it's, uh, it's I think it fits in well it, 
position wise in the album because after Beyond the Horizon, it gets pretty serious. I mean, it it gets pretty dark there. I mean, with when let's see, what is it? Eddie Moore is next. Eddie Moore, and then it finishes with Ain't Talking, which is yeah, completely different thematically speaking. So good to throw in a little lighter tune like Beyond the Horizon there. I think. Well, but see, but that's okay. But then you say that, but then I listen to this song more in preparation for this for this uh, record. And I started getting the vibe of, is this song about a guy? Again, where we just default to saying it's a guy because it's a man singing. But is this song about a guy whose lover, maybe a woman, but maybe not. But is this about someone whose lover is dead and he is about to commit suicide to join them on the other side? That's because I I started getting that vibe in this song. I think that's a possible interpretation for sure. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you know, I mean, beyond the horizon, what are we talking yeah. about? You yeah. know, beyond, could very well what be else a, could that be? A place like afterlife. Yeah. After. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah. And so when I, go, when I started getting into that interpretation, I was like, wow, this is, you know, it's so lilting and so kind of reassuring the tune, but yet I'm like, I'm really getting that from it. And then. Again, in, in prep for this, I go and I look up the song on his website, and it's completely oh, – not completely, but almost completely yes. rewritten. And the rewritten version, to me, is way more explicit in that yes. direction than the other one. So that made me go, well, yeah, that, that, that's okay. I think that's what he's going for in this. Yeah, yeah. The the newer versions or live versions, not every line, but I would say almost 50% of the lines are changed. So, And they're they're definitely darker they're not as lilting like you were saying and really on first listen i you almost get like a feeling of nor jones's you know come away with me like a place that it's maybe imagined maybe not but we'll get there and everything will be fine but once you really start listening to the lyrics a little more like it's a bit more layered than that so <laughs> yeah uh, i mean the the song the as it was originally written I, I mean i quoted the opening lyrics and it opens you know it goes on with i'm touched with desire what don't i do through flame and through fire i'll build my world around you now again i'll build which is timeline wise it's like that doesn't fit if it's someone that's already passed but i mean bob likes to hop around in time we know that beyond the horizon in the springtime or fall love waits forever for one or for all beyond the horizon across the divide Okay, we got another, you know, this sort of Rubicon, crossing a yep. Rubicon here. Round about midnight, we'll be on the same side. Down in the valley, the water runs cold beyond the horizon. Someone prayed for your soul. I mean, what? why else do you pray for someone's soul unless they've already departed? And then at round about midnight, we'll be, I mean, of course, he's barring round midnight. But round about midnight, we'll be on the same side. That sounds like a guy who's laying there at night and he's planning to come midnight. He's going to yep. kill himself. I'm like, yeah, how did I miss this the first couple times around? <laughs> Fair point. I mean, now that you're saying this, spelling it out like this, it 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 makes a lot of sense. You might be onto something. I mean, good Lord, you know, and then it makes me feel like, geez, Bob, even your nice, sweet sounding songs are filled with, <laughs> you know, grim despair. Uh, my wretched heart is pounding. I felt an angel's kiss. Again, an angel, someone from the other side. My memories are drowning in mortal bliss. So again, another you know reference to the this life, the mortal life, uh, and then beyond the horizon at the end of the game, every step that you take, I'm walking the same. I mean, I again, I just like I, I don't know. He's not even really trying to be all that no not vague about it. 
find it at this point. It's pretty, I mean, if you, yeah, it, it's really lining up here. <laughs> yeah. But then you go on the website and you've got the opening lines and he's changed it to from that uh, initial uh, quartet of lines. He changes it to, I'm staring out the window of an ancient town, petals from flowers falling to the ground beyond the horizon in the springtime or fall love waits forever for one and for all. And then he has the same line round about midnight. We're going to send down in the Valley. And then he changes it to, I lost my true lover in the dusk, in the dawn. I have to recover, get up and go on beyond yeah. the horizon, beyond love's burning game. Every step that you take, I'm walking the same. I mean, you, it always makes me wonder, when does he sit and do this? Like, when does he sit and rewrite these songs? Exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. Like, and what's interesting, I, I was looking at, at the website the other day, and I was wondering, like, who updates the the website's lyrics? Because if you look <laughs> at, like, Simple Twist of Fate, it's the exact same as the studio version. But this mm-hmm. one, I, I've never heard this, this ver- the one that you're, you're spelling out here for us. I've never heard that version sung live. But apparently, apparently it has been. So, yeah, I don't know how he has time to do this. I listened. I listened to a couple of live ones, um, and one had uh, harmonica in it, which is okay. not in the song on the on the, yep, that's you know, right. the album, which I thought was really quite nice. There was another one that had an opening, like a um, he had him playing on the keyboard and was an opening, and it almost sounded like a a church hymnal. It had this real kind of sound to it, but at mo- and the, there was only one version where I could hear. It was kind of hard to, obviously, a little hard to hear him. But there was one where he mentioned something about prison. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, how does that go? The morning like, sun is risen on the whole human race. I'm right out of prison, and I'll put on a good face. I yeah, think right. That's the line. <laughs> Bob songs always have people going to prison. That's always. Oh a thing. yeah, seems like um, it. yeah. But again, it makes me wonder, like, does he write this stuff on the bus? Does he, is it, is, and, and does it, does it come to him in a, in a flash of inspiration or does he sit down to do it? Maybe it it varies, I guess. And does he, does he, when he decides to like, oh, maybe we'll play this live. He then looks at the lyrics and he goes, "Mm, no, I could do, you know, and then he rewrites it. You know, I'd love, I would love to know that stuff. That's the stuff I would love to find out about. Absolutely. All questions I've, I've had myself and. My another thing that I always wonder, like, how does he choose like which song? Like, wh- I, okay, this one's good. Let's 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 stick with it. But you know, let's change beyond the horizon. It just seems like an odd song to to want to tinker with so much. But I mean, he obviously has. You know, though, if you ever met him, right? The telling him that you studied historical linguistics, he would probably light up when you said that because I feel like that's right over the plate for him. I mean, he yeah. loves, he's, he's an amateur, but yeah. boy, does he, that's his, that's his game, right? For sure. Yep. <laughs> he absolutely loves all that stuff. Um, I did find it funny that again, in the original version, you've got two different mentions of skies that are two different colors. He talks about beyond the horizon, neath crimson skies in the soft light of morning, I'll follow you with my eyes. And then at the end of the song, it's beyond the horizon. The sky is so blue. I've got more than a lifetime to live, love, and you. And that makes me think, again, in, in the, the original version, the, the the time has passed over the, over the, the course of the penultimate verse that he's done the deed, yep. that this guy has, in fact, because now the sky has gone from red to blue, you know, from dark to clear, and now he's done it. He's, he's in heaven with his – because he says, I've got more than a lifetime. Well, how do you have more than a lifetime? Well, that's if you're, you're loose – from the surly bonds of 
of, of mortal form. And so that to me is what happens in this song is that the guy does it. The guy actually ends his own life or dies in some capacity and he joins her on the other side. Now, maybe the whole thing is, of course, is a delusion, which would be even darker if you want to go right. <laughs> go that route. But that to me is what's happening. And then in the rewritten one, the Crimson Skies line is gone. It, it ends with the blue, the, the sky is so blue, but he's gotten rid of the Crimson Sky. So it doesn't have that jump that noticeable jump there even at the first couple passes of the song that was the thing that jumped out of me was that oh he's talking about skies one verse apart and now they've changed so dramatically yeah uh, totally yes yeah, i'm really sitting here thinking about this i've never it's never occurred to me i've listened to the song a lot especially recently because i was preparing for this and you're you, the way you view it i i've never it's never occurred to me but it really does make a lot of sense so. How does it, how does it play to you when you first heard it or how you listen to it now? Like what it, what just, what's the read you get from it when you listen to it? Just, oh, kind of a whimsical love song, a little bit like uh, "Spirit on the Water" esque. You know, and it's not too clear if he's singing like to an actual lover or maybe his his muse. So, and I know, and there's a couple songs in his canon that you could ask that same question about, and. So yeah, and I I never, I never looked at it from that angle. But I I mean it's pretty clear. I mean it's now that you're you're going over it like that. So yeah, that's I I never thought it was that deep, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then so my you're whole talking... perspective perspective on this song here, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to serve. So that, well, it's funny you're you're talking about that right after this. You know, he goes into Nettie Moore, and then yep. Levy's going to break. And then ends with ain't talking. And that's a, that's a dark triumvirate of songs. For sure. And then you hear this and you go, well, this song's kind of dark too, but it's just audio, like orally he's, he's lightening things up. Like he's just giving you a break from the kind of heavy beats of it, you know? And so he's kind of like just lightening things up, even though like textually he's not, but sound wise, he's not. And I think, you know, he mentioned in an interview at some point, after long after time out of mind or maybe not long after but after definitely after time out of mind where he said his one problem that he had with that record was that he felt that it was too similar all the songs had too similar a tempo yep. one after the next and so he's obviously taken that to heart because every jack frost record has had these wild changes Absolutely. where it's you know driving and then it slows down and then you know like you said you've got over on uh, Love and Theft, you've got, you know, uh, Lonesome Day Blues and High Water, and then you've got Moonlight. I mean, it's got that same changeup. Oh, yeah. So thematically, it's all kind of similar, but it just, this song does be. feel like a drink of cool water in the middle yes. of this heavy record. Yep, yep, that's a good analogy. Correct me if I'm wrong, Rob, but after Time Out of Mind, he's produced every studio album of, of that's come out, right? Yes, yeah, everything he's done in the 21st century has been produced by himself. By why he feels the need to go under the pseudonym, I don't know. And as far as I don't, I don't even think Jack Frost is even mentioned on Rough and Rowdy Ways. No. I don't think there's any producer listed on that. So I think he's finally no. just even abandoned that. Yeah. Again, I don't know why he bothers with that. You know what the purpose of that is? I honestly think he likes to be paradoxical sometimes. Yeah, sure does. No. I do. I do wonder how that works. I mean, how you how you literally produce your own record because presumably, I mean, I guess you, you hear it in the room at the time. Then you go back and you listen to the playback and you go, okay, that was good. I guess that's just how it works. I mean, I know that film directors, when they are 
actors that direct films. They set up the cinematographer, you know, they have the cinematographer and they have their, their assistant director who's probably kind of literally looking through the lens at any given moment. But I guess that's how you would produce your own record. And I guess he just, you know, at, at, at age 80, he doesn't need anybody else's advice anymore, I guess. So the final verse of the rewritten version where he says, gets after the, um, the theme of the melody from many moons ago, the bells of St. Mary, how sweetly they chime beyond the horizon. I found you just in time slipping and sliding too late to stop riding and gliding. It's lonely at the top beyond the horizon. The sky is so blue. I've got more than a lifetime to live loving you. Those wow. lines to me underscore your point of this isn't ripped from his soul. This feels like him just sort of having fun with, your favorite yes. word, linguistics. Yes. So he's just he's just enjoying the rhyme. Yep, I I would agree. Like this, this thematically, I don't know if it really lines up with each other, but you know, it it sounds pretty cool. So <laughs> I think that's probably what he was going for. Maybe I mean, far be it for me to get into the mind of Bob Dylan, but that's what it seems like. So in terms of linguistics, right? I mean, I, you know, this is <laughs> your field of interest. One of the things I'm fascinated by is the, like the 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 tenor of Bob's voice he's able to convey multiple meanings with one line and there's something about the quality of his voice. And, you know, in an interview that I cite often is where Paul Simon said that he said that, you know, Dylan's voice has the ability to convey more than one meaning in any given line. And that's just extraordinary. And, you know, we know that Bob is not duh, considered a great singer, but I think most people think of good singing as pretty singing and that's sure. different. But I mean, you know, reading these lines here, slipping and sliding, too late to stop, riding and gliding, it's lonely at the top. You read those lines and you're like, that's the Nobel Prize winning lyricist, that guy, <laughs> you know? I mean, these are just a bunch of cliches from the culture yeah. that he has slapped into this song. But when I, now again, I've never heard him sing those lines, but I can hear it in my head and I can hear what it would sound like. And it would sound either funny or or throwaway or profound or you can hear the smile kind of and it's that's the quality of his voice and i imagine that's somewhat of what linguistics would be about is the ability to convey meaning from the person saying it using versus someone else using the same exact word or sentence totally so what we're talking about now is semantics and pragmatics so semantics is meaning and pragmatics is more the context you so if you say something like, oh, cool, guys, and that could mean literally cool. I'm happy. It could mean, all right, cool. Let's get out of here. Time to go. And so it's really impossible to separate semantics from from pragmatics because you can't have meaning without context. And you can't have context without meaning. And so I totally agree with what you're saying. And I think that is one of the great things about Bob singing and, you know, much to my chagrin and I'm sure to yours. Anytime that you say that you're a Bob Dylan fan, inevitably you'll get a line about how, oh, Bob Dylan, you know, and he he can't sing. And like, really? Like, have you ever listened to him? And yes, I think very few singers are able to convey as much as he is with with one line. And he could sing it so many different ways. And he, I mean, he obviously does. And I, I don't, in the concert that I've, into and the songs that i've listened to on on youtube live one song even from one night to the next it's rarely the lyrics are sometimes the same but he doesn't sing it the same way and Mm -hmm. i think that just speaks to his genius where he's really never done tinkering it could be with the music or the piano solo or the, the the lines or 
the just the entire song the uh what's the word i'm looking for it but he he continues to tinker and i think a lot of people would be pretty happy with writing a song like tangled up in blue i mean a lot that would be the career for most people they would just say (laughs) all right i'm good i'm good i did (laughs) but he's constantly reworked that he's played it over two thousand times and there's probably not a line that's probably a few lines the chorus of course but it is completely reworked the version the last version he played i think it was maybe in 2018 or 2019 don't quote me on that but it has very very little in common lyrically speaking with the studio version so long-winded answer but there you go no (laughs) how many times am i going to get to talk to someone who has studied historical linguistics are you talking about you know yeah i i in the early days of my bob fandom and people would say oh he can't sing but i love his songwriting i i used to argue it and then i stopped because there's nothing to argue i mean either the the tenor of someone's voice is either appealing to them or it isn't and there's no way to argue it one way or the other you can't say it you should like it you don't either you do or you don't that's there's just there's nothing you can do about that i mean there are there are singers who i feel the same way where i'm like i just i can't stand the way that guy or that woman sings it just doesn't really and i like i'll tell you something like that's evolved over time for me i remember the first time i heard tom waits which was when uh, he was on Saturday Night Live. You know, yeah. I mean, I was, I was a young child. But I remember thinking, like, is this like a joke? Like, is this like a gag? Is this guy like a real no, singer? Because, like like I mean, does anybody really sound like this? You know? And and I just, he was just out of my orbit for many years. And then I, I, I knew someone that was into him, and I started listening to it. And then I, the voice just clicked with me. Now, now by that point, I'd become a fan of Bob, so maybe I had, Reach yeah. the path a little in sure. terms of the sound that I was willing to to tolerate, but all of a sudden, I listen to a Tom Waits song. I listen to like Martha, you know, my favorite yep. song of his, and I get weepy because it's so beautiful. His yep. his singing of it is so beautiful, and so you know, there's no way to argue it. There's no way to tell somebody you should like the way Bob Dylan sounds. They don't, and yep. you you could feel like you're missing out. You know, you're really missing something because yeah, you're like the guy. He the guy can deliver a lot of the human experience with the most cliched line. It doesn't need to be boat ghost of electricity howls in the bones of her face. The you, every line doesn't need to be that. It can be, it's lonely at the top sometimes just that. And you're like, Oh my God, this guy is so profound. This is so amazing. Absolutely. Totally. Yeah. And you said, you know, uh, the way he's been playing with it live. I mean, he's only played it 58 times Yep. from 2007 to 2009. So right after, uh, modern actually not even right after modern modern times came out in 2006 so we waited a whole year to finally to finally debut it and so you know he gave it some tries and as i mentioned he he played with the words he played with the the arrangement was generally the, the same um but i guess like i mentioned he played harmonica in some he had kind of an organ intro on some of them so he was playing with it and then he just you know he put it aside and you know, now we're talking 15 years since he's played it again. So yeah. I think probably odds are breaking, we're not going to hear it probably again. Probably won't be breaking it back out. Yeah. Yeah. Probably, probably not. So, but yeah, there's, it's one of those songs that, like I said, I, I don't want to say I dismissed it, but I just went, oh, it's one of his little old ditties that he's been <laughs> liking to do. And let me really dig in. To... I'm the same way. Definitely. I mean, I always liked it, but uh, let's get to Nettie Moore. Let's get to yeah. Antonio. Yeah. 
Yeah, let me really dig into Working Man's Blues and 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 it rumor rummage around that song uh, endlessly. And this one is just okay. But then again, as I go and I dig into it, I'm like, wow, yeah, there's way more here. And what an interesting concept of like a song sung by someone. It could be. It doesn't have to mean this, but to me, what an interesting idea of a of a song sung by someone who's about to end their life to join their lover on the other side. I mean, what, how many, what, who writes songs like that? No, not, not too many people that I can think of. <laughs> I mean, my goodness. And, so and make it sound like such a dreamy, like almost, it sounds like a happy dreamy song, mm-hmm. but it's, it's, uh, I don't think, I don't think it's, it's anything but that, honestly, when I did this little project, I looked at it from two and I'll try to be quick. Cause I, I, uh, Getting into like to the nitty gritty linguistic stuff of it, I mean, I don't want to put your listeners to sleep. So basically, from two different perspectives, I wanted to 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 look at the changes over time. And so one of them was the frequency of how frequently he plays a song and whether or not that influences whether it changes or not. In linguistics, there's a concept called analogy, which is basically we're we're trying to eliminate irregularity. For instance, if we look at Old English, there's a lot more past tense verbs that were irregular. So, for instance, the past of melt was molten. The past of snow was snoo. Uh, the past of, let's see, uh, slay was slew. But obviously, these aren't overly common words. I mean, how often do you say it it, it melted or it it's, he, he, sl- he slayed? So when something's not that frequent, our underlying mental representation of that word is weak. And so it's more resistant or it's, excuse me, it's less resistant to change. And so my hypothesis was, you know, the less he plays a song, perhaps the, the more, the more possible it is that he's going to change it. And if you look at, you know, the top 30 songs he's played in concert, this, it's not a 100%, like all of them are unchanged because, you know, you got tangled up in blue that's heavily changed. You got simple twist of fate that's heavily changed, but really, you know, like Rolling Stone, all along the watchtower, Mr. Tambourine man, I could go on and on. And most of these songs might not be the same forces at play, but it's interesting that there is that overlap. Other perspective was the position, like what change is made. Like, is it the first verse? Is it the middle verse? Or is it, you know, the, the final verse? And historically from, from a historical linguistic perspective, one would guess that the position of the song least likely to change would be the first, the, because uh, in word, if we just look at some words that, typically speaking, like from Latin to Spanish or any of the other Romance languages, you know, you have a word. If we just look at the the numbers, so nine novum in Latin is it starts with in in all the the daughter languages and you could say the same thing for the word for seven and other really common words like to know all all start with s come from sapere from latin to know and so i guessed that dylan would be less likely to change the first verse of a song if we view a word like a song i know that's again it's not exact but I, i think yes it's a song and it's only sung by one person but still i think there's some underlying principles of language change that I think they're, they're, it's probably going to obey. And that is also borne out um, if you look at a lot of the songs that he changes. So like Pay in Blood, it's changed toward the end. Every Grain of Sand is changed right at the end. And 
there's a lot more examples here. I have working men's blues is another one that's heavily changed, but not until the later parts of it, not at the beginning. And I, you know, I, th- I just thought it was interesting to bring up because, you know, we want to talk a little bit about linguistics. Again, I don't want to be a, a substitute for NyQuil for your listeners, but. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it's my show. I'll do what I want. I like this stuff. Don't, don't sure. worry about it. So, yeah, th- those are the conclusions that the more frequent, fr- the more frequently a song is played, the more resistant it is to change. And just like, and if we think of words that are really, really frequent, like to go, like we still say went and gone. Those are very, very ancient words. And those representations in our mind of those words are very strong because we hear them all the time. And we're not, we're, go is not going to come goad anytime soon, if that makes sense. I think so. I look, I, like I said earlier, I think Bob would eat this stuff up. I think this is, you know, I, he, this, he's not trained in this in any way, but sure. he's made a study of it for 50, 60 years now. And I think this is, I think this is the kind of stuff that he delves into that none of us ever get the, other than someone like you who has the background has any appreciation of because we just don't know it. We don't know the, sure. the, the context, but he's working on the undergirder you know, of the song and has all this stuff in it. So I think find this is fascinating. Awesome. Well, happy to share. Yeah, absolutely. Well, again, thank you. Thank you so much for doing this, man. I really appreciate it. I, you know, I love it when someone pitches me a song that I don't think there's a whole ton to discuss because I'm always fascinated. Like, well, how do we get a, how do we get a show out of that? Is it going to be 12 minutes? Let's we'll find out. And, <laughs> and as is usual, these songs, there's way more to them, even yep. the ones that don't seem like they do. There's way more to them than you would ever imagine. And so I'm always happy to give a, a whole show over to a song that I've kind of, again, I don't ever want to say dismissed. That's, that sounds so harsh. It's not, right. I've never dismissed any of his songs, but there's, yeah. you know, everyone has their favorites and those are the ones you really lean into. And this was never one of those. But the more I hear about it, I go, yeah, wow, there's, this is some dark stuff. And yet yeah. it's so lilting and beautiful. And like, yeah, Bob, you got me again, man. <laughs> he will do that to you for sure absolutely so okay before we wrap up here i have to ask you the exit question which would be if there's any bob recording session that you could sit in on what do you think that would be what would be number one on your list that is a really tough question rob you knew it was coming nick yeah. I, knew the show. Um, I would probably go with blood on the tracks like, I was going to say modern times but you know we, we talked to at that about that ad nauseum so i mean blood on the tracks there's Really can't get more of a, a quintessential Bob album than that. And so many great songs. And and even on that album, there's a lot of songs that are put aside. And I, for me personally, I love Lily Rosemary and the Jack of Hearts. Like, I would have loved to have been in the room and to hear that being played and all the, the times that they tinkered with it and, and whatnot. I, so that would be my answer. That's a grand, fantastic answer. And you get to go to two different sessions. You get to go to the New York ones. And then they go to get to go to Minneapolis and hear yep. that, hear those as well. So that'd be be a fun trip. So well, and Nick, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate. It. I said I love talking to people with this kind of academic background because I don't have that, and so and, and their interpretations of of the work to me is always fascinating. So thank you so much for doing this. No problem. Happy to happy to do it, and uh, thank you thank you for having me. I appreciate it. No problem. And as usual, you can find the show on Twitter and Blue Sky under Pod Dylan. And if you want to have access to the first 100 episodes of Pod Dylan, you could subscribe to the show over on fmpods.com. So that's going to do it. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will see you later. Bye. Red sails in the sunset, way out on the sea. 